Let's kick it off with COVID-19 in BC schools. Now, with schools back in session, we knew some of these COVID cases were going to pop up in the school system. But what is the system in place for advising parents, teachers, staff members in the schools if there is a positive COVID case in the school? There's like a patchwork of information disclosure across the province. Some health authorities are disclosing information in a very timely manner. Others are not, and it's a big concern to the teachers in the province. Let's check in now with Terry Mooring. She is the president of the BC Teachers Federation. I'm very pleased to welcome her back to the show. Thanks a lot for coming on. Good morning, Mike. Okay, so it's interesting that we knew there were going to be COVID cases in schools. It it was just inevitable, but I know your concerns are around the disclosure and the transparency around that, right? Tell me your, your thoughts and your concerns. Absolutely. We're really seeing uh, different things happening with the different health authorities, and there's a real lack of understanding about how the contact tracing process works. And so we're seeing a lot of confusion that families are expressing, and certainly teachers are as well. And so we've had some troubling incidents where uh, teachers have actually been contacted by students who have been tested positive, uh, as opposed to, you know, any health authority. Um, We think that teachers ought to be a part of that contact tracing process, especially when it's a student in their class that has been diagnosed. Um, There's information that teachers have about um, potential contacts that students could have that maybe they don't necessarily remember. Um, We know that families are a part of the contact tracing process, and it just, to, to us, makes sense that the class classroom teacher would be involved in that. Um, But, you know, certainly there needs to be um, timely communication shared um, because, you know, we know that if there's a delay in uh, communication about COVID cases, there could be more, you know, um, that that happen, more cases that um, end up, uh, you know, transmitting. And so, uh, you know, we have some concerns about that. Okay, you've written a letter to Dr. Bonnie Henry, the provincial health officer that you've uh, publicly posted, and the concerns outline the disclosure and transparency around these cases and you note that for example the Fraser Health Authority um, seems to be doing a pretty comprehensive job in communicating with parents and the public and posting information online very quickly if there's a COVID case in the Fraser uh, Health District in a school but you compare that to the Vancouver Coastal Vancouver Coastal Health Authority uh, and there, we've heard about lots of cases and lots of schools in that health authority but how many have been officially disclosed by Vancouver Coastal Health? Well, you know, they're starting to do more of that. But yeah. the problem is now that they now they have to win back trust because what we see happening are families comparing information and that's bound to happen in the school system. And so we're seeing a lot still online and a lot of situations where families are disclosing positive diagnoses that aren't being disclosed by, you know, the health authority. And so that is going to continue um that information sharing informally on the internet is going to continue if the health authority doesn't step up and do a better job of uh, of quickly getting information out. And of course, the problem with uh, the informal sharing of the information is it might not be accurate. You know, we're concerned about stigma and privacy and all the rest as well. Um, but that's not going to go away unless the health authority does a better job of uh, communicating. Right. Well, how many COVID cases have there been in schools in BC so far? Well, the reporting that I've seen is, you know, almost 400 and, you know, between students and staff. And again, um, that's not from the health authority, that's from reporters. And so, you know, we don't have that kind of information, unfortunately, and and we should. We need to know what's happening in schools provincially. 
Um, you know, we're also really concerned, of course, about transmission um, in schools, and so we still need those preventative measures in place that are not. So mask policies are not in place in classrooms. Physical distancing is not possible in classrooms. And so, you know, these are we know these are the, the measures that prevent tr- in-school transmissions. And so we don't want to have a situation, and we've been told there isn't so far a situation of in-school transmission. Um, we are seeing it in other jurisdictions, and so, again, uh, it makes sense that it's going to happen here at some point if it hasn't already. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we need to have those measures in place that prevent it. And right now, they're just not there. And we're also seeing, you know, school districts um, across the province not adhering to their own district plans or, their, or the Ministry of Education guidelines consistently. And there's no sort of mechanism in place for oversight either. And so these are some, you know, significant issues that we're having right now. Okay, speaking to Terry Mooring, she's the president of the BC Teachers Union. Uh, 400 cases, that's a lot. So how is the system supposed to work in terms of disclosure to parents and to teachers and to staff in those schools? So let's say there's a positive case of, of, of a kid, For let's say. Uh, what is supposed to happen? Well, what's supposed to happen, and, and we're seeing this in some jurisdictions, and so I would say that Surrey is a really good example of how that communication um, is really um, flowing quite well, and the superintendent is working really closely with the health authority, and that's what needs to happen. So, so basically, you know, um, families within a school community, if they're not, if they haven't been um, identified as a close contact of the student then um, you know they just get notification that there's been a positive case in the school and they don't get any additional information beyond that and you know a lot of this is built on trust which is why again communication needs to be um, quickly disseminated because you know if, if families don't have trust in the system um, if teachers don't have trust in the system then you know it all begins oh. to break down um, and so we also are concerned about close contacts like we would consider a, a classroom teacher um, who works with all students in, in the room um, to be a close contact and yet we're not we're not sure. seeing um, the classroom teachers consistently um, well they're only contacted if they're a close contact um, other than that staff gets the same information that families get um, and we're seeing some you know real problems like we're seeing families getting information before st- school staff do there's all sorts of things going on and um, you know the health authority is supposed to work with the district um, in order to get that information out quickly but again we're seeing you know that's more effective in some situations so, than others so the disclosure is if there is a positive case at a school then families are just told there has been a positive at your school and that's it they don't say they don't break it down by individual classes is that correct that's that's correct and right. so, so what you, happened yeah, what yeah happened so do you think the teacher should be told like the teacher should be informed that a kid in your class has tested positive that's what we think and yeah. teachers are very used to dealing with uh, privacy issues in classrooms. We absolutely think the teacher needs to know if a student's been diagnosed in their classroom, well, and that's yeah. not consistently happening. Well, and, it just and seems like common problem. common sense. What if a teacher tested positive, or or a staff member should should all the parents of the of the kids in that teacher's class be informed? Well, and that's the other side of it, right? And yeah. so certainly close contacts again. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, we have had teachers uh, diagnosed. And right. um, 
you know, that, that's, that's what we're trying, and we're trying to prevent the transmission. Again, we get back to the uh, preventative measures, but, um, you know, there, there ought to be a lot more communication, and that's just not happening. And so families need to know how the contact tracing process works, because right now, um, you know, they're concerned about their children, and there isn't a clear understanding about how it works. And it, you know, doesn't seem to be particularly comprehensive, and I think that's the concern a lot of people have. Right. You mentioned that close contacts are, are kind of the, one of the key key variables here. So how do you how is that defined? What is well, a close appears, contact? Again, there isn't enough information about this, <laughs> but it appears that um, the student or or the staff member that gets diagnosed has to be, you know, within um, cl- in close contact, close within a meter, uh, closer than a meter of someone for at least fifteen minutes. And um, and so you know, in in a classroom setting where you have students moving about, um, that that can become quite muddied for students, especially if, if we're relying on you know, and, and n- none of this is you know the problem of students. Um, you know, we have younger students or you know even teenagers that are having to identify close contacts. We think that teachers could assist in that process because they're obviously observing what's happening in the classroom. And, um, and certainly ought to be um, notified if right. that situation happens. And we're just getting different information. So there's a bit of a disconnect about what we're hearing publicly and what we're seeing play out in classrooms. And that really sows uh, confusion and concern. Okay. And so just ought to be a lot more worked out on the communication end of things. And that's just not happening, unfortunately. Thank you for coming on today. Thank you, Mike. All right, welcome back. Heard my interview there with the president of the teachers' union. She says they're aware of 400 positive COVID cases in BC schools. That's a lot. They are concerned about the transparency and disclosure to parents, teachers, and staff about positive COVID-19 cases in BC schools. The union has written a letter to Dr. Bonnie Henry here asking for a meeting, registering their concerns. That letter was sent out on September 23rd, like a week ago. They tell me that they have not received a response from Dr. Bonnie Henry to their letter asking for a meeting on this. 604-280-9898 is the number to call me. Star 9898, toll free on your cell. Mike in Surrey. Hi, Mike. Hey, Mike. Uh, Mike, I'm the father of a grade one teacher in the school, one of the school districts here, and she lives at home. So I asked her for, for a month what the protocol was going to be if one of the kids gets uh, COVID, you know, in a grade one class, I actually went and helped her set up her classroom. She had 21 kids. There's no way you can social distance. There's no six feet. You get 21 little grade one kids in a classroom. It's like squirrels, you know, they, <laughs> yeah. they're all over the place. They're touching each other the whole bit. Yeah. So she finds out yesterday, she comes home. She says, you're not going to believe this dad. I had a call from one of the parents of one of the girls in my classroom said she's got, uh, she's being tested for COVID. So I said, oh. so what, so what are you going to, what do you do? She says, we have no idea. She's. I'm asking around. Nobody knows what to do next. She said, "I'm not sure what I have to do if this kid has COVID." She's, you know, she's a grade one student. She's got a lot of friends. She's got family that goes to that school. She says, "We do not know what to do." And I think that's the problem is they just don't have a good kind of uh, set of work instructions on what to do if there's a COVID case. So I think wow. Terry Morning's right on right on track trying to get uh, something done. I, I'm, wow. and of course. At her age, she's scared because, you know, she brings it home. I'm 62. Uh, you know, she's going, I don't want to bring this stuff home either. And so is she going to have to quarantine herself, which means uh, I'm going to have to get her an apartment somewhere else. Oh, my goodness. Now, has she been tested, your daughter? No. 
no, and they've not asked her to be tested, even though she would have been had probably the most close contact with any student because a grade one teacher is doing so much one-on-one with those kids as best they can. But she wears a mask. She does everything she possibly can. She cleans the desk. She, uh, you know, the uh, janitor's working full-time. She's got a full-time daytime janitor and a nighttime janitor. I know they're, I know they're trying, but uh, yeah. they really don't have a protocol that says, what do you do when a student gets it? And she can't tell the other parents. She's been told not to say anything to the other parents. Oh, uh, oh boy. Okay, so and she's never been officially informed about this. This, is, this all came from the parent of the kid who tested positive. All came from the parent of the kid. Wow. Wow. Mike, thank you very well, much. Wait, wait. Yeah. They yeah. Told us, Mike, I think yeah. they said that they're being tested for COVID, not they they were officially have COVID. It's what they're being tested they're with being COVID. Tested they're going to find out COVID. because five of the uh, family members think they may be exposed. So. Okay, Mike, thanks for calling in to tell me about it. Yeah, you need better rules. We need clear guidelines and rules on how this these uh, disclosures are supposed to work because right now it obviously is not working and you got the teachers union asking uh, dr bonnie henry for a meeting where's the meeting it hasn't even replied to the letter like come on this is our school system i think we can do better barbara in cloverdale hi barbara hi good morning thanks for taking hi. my call sure i agree with you 100 percent. there has to be i have a hard time have a hard time believing that there's not a comprehensive plan dr bonnie henry at all seemed to be seemingly working around the clock putting out plans for different sectors why are the why is the education system falling down my son is in a in a high school in surrey they've had a positive case in the school we got notified but that was just there's a case in the school but it's not transmitted within the school but i think Mm. if the teachers surely the teachers can know you've got a kid that's tested positive in your class right right i mean without naming names that kid's obviously not showing up, okay. and in very small cohorts, it's going to be easy to figure out. Well, yeah, okay, thank you very much for the call. Yeah, I mean, obviously there's a privacy concern, and if you disclose that someone in an individual class has tested positive, well, you know, I guess you don't need to be uh, Sherlock Holmes to figure out who it is. I guess it's the person who's not showing up at class. All right, welcome back to the show. On yesterday's show, I talked to a bar owner. His name is Rob Chazowski. He owns a pub in Victoria just down the street from the B.C. legislature. He is not happy with the COVID-19 rules that have been put on his business, especially that 10 p.m. last call for alcohol. Remember, Dr. Bonnie Henry brought in that rule, 10 p.m. That's the cutoff time. Got to stop serving booze at 10 o'clock. He says this has really hammered his business. He's laid off eight people. He's losing thousands of dollars. He doesn't think it's fair. He is not alone. Lots of other pub and bar owners across British Columbia not happy too. Now, check this out. If you went in recently to have a pint at the Doc Willoughby's pub in Kelowna, you would have seen an interesting message on your receipt. Uh, At the bottom of the receipts, up until recently, it said October 24th. Vote that effer out. Vote that, yeah, expletive deleted out. And it says, get out and vote. Let's save our industry. Wow. Talk about taking a message directly to your customers there. Let's check in with the owner of the pub, Dave Willoughby. He's the owner of Doc Willoughby's Pub in Kelowna. Very pleased to welcome him. Hiya, Dave. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me on your show. Thank you for coming on. Okay, this has gotten a lot of attention. This has been the subject of uh, news stories all around BC the last couple of days. 
Tell me why you put that that message on your receipts for your customers. Vote that. I can't say it on a family radio station. Vote that effer out. Uh, why did you put that on your receipts? Well, there's a there's a number of reasons, but uh, it's a really a cry for help uh, from our staff and from our industry. We're we're under a lot of pressure, and these pressures have been created by the NDP government. I mean, they squeaked in with a minority government, and They've hammered us with lots of taxes, the BC health tax on employers and speculation yeah. tax. Yeah. Then along comes COVID measures, and those have certainly not been great for the hospitality industry. As you pointed out, the 10 p.m. liquor closing hour is very challenging. Yeah. And then, based on all that, uh, Horgan doesn't advocate for the hospitality industry. Instead, he taxes our servers with a new serving at right fee for $35. It's oh. just hitting us when we're down. Okay, and I then know. after it all said yep. and done, election BC or elections uh, been called during the state of emergency. It's just really opportunistic. Okay, so when you put that message on your on your receipts, obviously you caused quite a stir with that. What was the reaction from your customers when they saw that message on their receipts? What did people say to you about it? You know, it's quite polarizing. Um, I yeah. I understand that some people are uh, frustrated by that message on there, but we've had like. 60% of people respond in support of that message. And we actually have people coming in to support us and actually get a receipt with that on there. <laughs> okay. So, but you've taken it off the, re- you've taken that message off your receipts now, I understand. Yeah, we got a call from Elections BC yesterday and they want us to register as a third party sponsor, which is really kind of humorous because they only really, um, talk to people that they think are unfairly promoting one government over another. And I'm really not promoting any one particular party. I'm just saying don't support the NDP. (laughs) Okay. Well, so Elections BC said, what, this qualified as, what, third-party advertising or something, and that's why you'd have to register with them? Yeah, and so we've done that. But uh, I think our message has been heard loud and clear, and so we've removed the message from our receipts. I I understand it's a bit crass, but at the same time, sometimes you got to jump up and down and shout to be heard. Okay, did any of your customers complain about it? No, not personally. I mean, you get certainly a lot of uh, people behind their computers at their home kind of sending you hate mail and that sort of thing. But uh, generally, uh, the customer base that we have is super supportive of this Okay, speaking of Dave Willoughby, he's the owner of Doc Willoughby's Pub in Kelowna. All right, well, you certainly got a lot of attention with, with that, Dave. Let's talk about some of those issues that you raised. That 10 p.m. closing, we talked about this on the show yesterday. How has that impacted your business, the 10 p.m. liquor serving cutoff? That has been very difficult. You know, our sales are down to 25% of normal. And uh, I think it's largely because of that 10 p.m. closing. You know, it's really hitting our servers in the pocketbook they're having troubles making ends meet their ships have been cut in half and their tips are down and it's just really difficult yeah is that though john horgan's fault though because he's just following what bonnie that was an order from dr bonnie henry and she's kind of non-political right it's kind of independent so is that really horgan's fault well you know you're right bc medical health officer uh it's her job to protect the health of british columbians but right. it's really the bc premier's job to work with dr henry and to work on the betterment of the whole province and right now the economy is a big part of that and i don't think he's really advocating for business or for our hospitality industry 
Okay, let me uh, let me play this here for you, Dave, because we talked about this on on the show yesterday, and I'll tell you what the uh, our phone board lit up about it with uh, people on both sides about this 10 p.m. serving cutoff. And here's what one caller said yesterday. One caller phoned in, and and I think you, you'll probably disagree with what this caller has to say. Uh, go, here's what here's what the caller said yesterday. I am so fed up with the people in this province lacking such common sense. This is the demographic that is spreading this pandemic and bar owners want to come out and bitch and complain about an extra hour and i've got empathy for these people's pocketbook but yeah. this pandemic is spreading like wildfire and then never mind let's add alcohol to the 20 30 40 crowd saying Crimea river if you've got to close down early we've got to worry this is a public health emergency emergency and when you've got a lot of young people in a bar that's a potential spreading event for COVID-19. How do you react to that? Yeah, I think really our industry is only asking for a 12, 12 in the morning, two hours extra off the 10 p.m. And I understand the pandemic is is, uh, is alive and well, and it's certainly yeah. more prolific in certain areas of the province. And I think certain uh, targeted measures could be done to uh, ease restrictions in some areas where there's no problem and make more restrictions on other areas where there is problems. I think currently right now you have an instance where young people are coming into our establishment and at 10 o'clock we're basically refusing service and they're going to the liquor store, which miraculously has an 11 o'clock closing time for sales. Mm. And they load up on liquor and head home to a house party. Like if they're just driving the business underground where there's no regulation and there's no rules or contact tracing. Yeah. The other thing that I've heard from some bar owners is instead of bringing the hammer down on everybody, including all the bars and pubs that are strictly following the rules, social distancing, cleaning, all that stuff. Uh, may, and including a lot of bars and pubs in parts of the province where there's not a lot of COVID, instead of bringing the hammer down on everybody, why not bring the hammer down heavy on the rule breakers? So if you catch a bar or a pub or a restaurant that's breaking the rules, floating the regulations, hammer them like with a ten thousand dollar fine. And if they are if they got a second offense, shut them down, put them out of business. Like go after the bad guys instead of punishing everybody. What do you think of that? Oh, I totally agree. I mean, I listened to Jeff Grenard on your show uh, from Able BC a week or so ago, and yeah. uh, he spoke quite well on on the uh, increased enforcement and the necessary need for it. Um, but you know, I think there's other provinces that have taken a different approach. Like in Quebec, they've got major problems, and they have gone and shut down bars and restaurants in two targeted areas, right. two populated areas, Quebec City and Montreal. Yeah, And in Ontario, they've got major problems, too, and they're allowing bars and restaurants to stop selling liquor at 11 p.m., which seems a little bit more reasonable. Do you think, okay, I under- do you, do you I think they, there's a problem. Yeah, do you think they uh, should at least let you serve until 11 instead of 10? Well, I think they should allow us to serve till 12. I think our industry okay. has done spectacular over this whole COVID uh, experiment, and I really think we should be being rewarded for that instead of being punished. Out of the blue... We get this after Labor Day. We think everything is going to go back to normal. The, you know, the interprovincial travel's kind of gone by the wayside, and we're going to try and, try and promote our business and get the locals back. But yeah. instead, we get hammered with this 10 o'clock closure. It's really, it's really hurtful. 
Right. Speaking of Dave Willoughby, he owns a pub, uh, the Doc Willoughby's pub in Kelowna. Didn't they have a, a bad outbreak in Kelowna, though, after Canada Day there? You know, that's a good point. Uh, you know, the bad Kelowna outbreak was uh, started once the interprovincial travel was allowed during phase three. And right. uh, this was found to be stemmed from private parties. And and uh, I, I think that this 10 p.m. liquor closing is pushing young people underground. So it's really... Yeah not fair in that respect. And I think Kelowna and central Okanagan in general has done a great job of getting that under control. And I think it's through responsible bar owners and restaurant owners. We, right. we're, you, we're, we're, we're towing the line. Have you had any cases at your pub? No. Okay. Okay. Are you going to put another, any more messages on your receipts now that you've registered as a, as an advertiser with elections, BC? Uh, we certainly have the uh, opportunity to do that. Uh, I'm going to have to think uh, carefully about what I put okay. out there. Obviously, I sure kicked a hornet's nest on this one, yes. but uh, I, I'm really happy that it has generated the discussion on our current provincial government. Dave, thanks for coming on today. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate uh, it. Okay, thank you. Dave Willoughby, he is the owner of Doc Willoughby's Pub. Yeah, he kicked the hornet's nest big time on this one. Putting that message on the receipts for his customers in his pub, vote that effer out. That's what he put on the receipts. He's taken that off the receipts now. He's now registered as a third-party advertiser at Elections BC, so he might put another message back on the receipts there. Obviously, he wants rid of the NDP government. What do you think about what he said there, especially the 10 p.m. serving cutoff? He says, hey, come on, let us serve liquor until t- midnight. You got these kids are going to house parties now. At least let them drink in the bar. Would that be safer? Phone me and tell me what you think on this now. 604-280-9898 is the number. 604-280-9898, star 9898 on your cell. This is Mike Smith. Back with your calls. We need bold action. So the B.C. Liberal government will eliminate the provincial sales tax for a full year. In the second year, we'll reduce it to 3%. Okay, there you go. That's BC Liberal leader Andrew Wilkinson earlier this week announcing a very dramatic tax cut here on the campaign trail in this election. A Liberal government, he says, would eliminate the provincial sales tax for one year. That would kick in immediately after taking power. He says in the second year of a COVID-19 relief plan, he would chop the PST down to just 3%. The PST right now, of course, is 7%. This is a big, bold promise here from the Liberals. They're hoping this is going to work like magic for them in this election campaign. We'll see how it goes. Okay, let's talk about this promise now with the great panel that we've assembled for you. We got both sides of it here for you. Jock Finlayson on the line. He's the Executive Vice President of the Business Council of British Columbia. Hiya, Jock. Hi, how are you, Mike? I'm great. Thanks for doing this. Also on the line is Jim Stanford. He's an economist with the Center for Future Work in Vancouver. Jim, thank you for coming on. Thank you, Mike. Good to talk to you, Jock. Thank you, Mike. Thank you to both of you. Jock Finlayson, let me go to you first. Do you like this idea to eliminate the sales tax for a year? Well, uh, we had recommended um, in our sort of economic recovery advice to the province back in the summer a cutting the uh, the PST in half for two years to sort of right. help to kickstart and stimulate economic recovery. So this, this is a bigger uh, step than we had proposed. But um, if you're looking for measures that would help to stimulate the economy in the short run, and I think there's an argument for that, this is one of the tools available to the province. It does come with a rather sizable fiscal price tag, uh, which I think people have commented on, but uh, we're in an era where governments everywhere 
are racking up pretty big deficits to try and keep the economy afloat. So what, it's, what, it's not that unusual. What kind of impact do you think it would have on the economy? Would it really give the economy a jolt? Yeah, it would help. I mean, it's kind of hard to model these things, but, uh, uh, you know, we do have a consumer-driven economy to a large extent in B.C., over two-thirds of all spending, uh, for probably closer to 70% is by households. Uh, a fair amount of that spending is covered by the PST, so eliminating it for a time-limited period, uh, I think, would bring some spending forward and would certainly juice spending. It also provides a benefit to business. About 40% of PST revenue is actually collected from businesses rather than households, and so this would lower costs and at the margin create a stronger incentive for investment. Okay. So I think it is a stimulus measure, but again, it comes with a rather sizable fiscal price tag. Well, yeah, that's a lot of foregone government revenue that would uh, punch a big hole in the budget for sure. But Jock Finlayson pretty much liking the idea. Jim Stanford, what do you think? I don't think it's a good idea, Mike. Uh, first of all, it is incredibly expensive and, and much more expensive than the Liberals uh, claimed in their announcement. I would guess about $8 billion uh, foregone revenue in the first year, probably $5 billion in the second year, uh, leaving a big hole that's awfully hard to fill back up. Uh, I mean, just think about a year from now, if they were to uh, eliminate the tax, then they have to come in and say, now we're going to increase the PST by three percentage points. And then after that, they haven't said when, if ever, they're going to bring it back to seven. So this is going to be an enormous uh, budget hole for years to come that's going to be inevitably reflected in, but, in spending cuts, I think. But aren't we already in a huge hole? I mean, we're the, the deficit now is already, what, $12 billion, $13 billion. So, I mean, the budget's already blown. No, you're absolutely right. But going from $12 billion to $20 billion is quite a change. And if you're going to spend an $8 billion increment, you've got to make sure you're getting good bang for the buck. And the, the other reason I don't like this is I, I don't think it will be very effective. Retail sales in B.C. have actually recovered quite well. They're now above where they were before the pandemic started. Uh, hospitality, restaurants and, and uh, entertainment and so on, of course, in in terrible situation, but it's not the sales tax that's keeping people from going out and eating. It's the fear of catching uh, a deadly disease. So I do not think that there'll be much positive impact. If you really want to juice the economy, as Jock says, uh, you've got to actually directly spend this money and undertake new uh, projects, uh, services, uh, infrastructure, etc. You get much better bang for the buck. That you know, I, I hear that, Jim, and in some ways I sympathize with it, but uh, our track record here, you mentioned infrastructure. I guess two things on that. Number one, government's capital spending budget has already gone up appreciably, and we heard an announcement from the Prime Minister today that the Feds are doing the same. So it's not as if governments are shy on spending. Uh, and secondly, our, our history here is that infrastructure spending, it takes so long uh, to get anything uh, brought forward and approved by all the different regulatory agencies and government bodies that have a say and stakeholder consultations, by the time you put a shovel in the ground, the recession is over. So infrastructure spending is important, but I think it's a myth that it helps to deal with very short-run downturns in the economy. Okay, well, Jim Stanford, you mentioned that you fear that a promise of this expensive would probably trigger government spending cuts and program cuts down the road. Let me play this for you. I, Andrew Wilkinson, the Liberal leader, he was on the show earlier this week. I asked him that very question. What would you cut to pay for this? Here's what he said. There will be no cuts to health and education under BC Liberal government. Let's be crystal clear on that. I'm someone who's practiced medicine in hospitals all over British Columbia. I know what it means to fund a proper health care system, and that's what we're going to do. Okay, no cuts to health and education. He went on to say no cuts, period. A Liberal government would not cut spending at all to help pay for this. Your thoughts on that, Jim Stanford? 
Well, you've just uh, made a promise to eliminate the second biggest tax revenue for the whole government, $8 billion uh, of a whole. Hard to imagine how it's going to come back into place. Health and education alone are 60% of the provincial government spending. So uh, either you're contemplating running double-digit billion-dollar deficits for the infinite, you know, indefinite future, which doesn't fit well with Mr. Wilkinson's sort of general world view, uh, or you are going to have to cut something. So I, th- I think that's an empty promise, frankly. Uh, two or three or four years down the road, we're still going to be in tough economic times. This, this recession is not going to disappear overnight. And uh, right. with that enormous uh, revenue source gone, hard to imagine how it comes back in. There will inevitably be uh, restraint on the spending side, and that's going to have uh, a serious impact right. undermining whatever recovery we've been able to achieve. In jo- the meantime. Jock, Jock Finlayson, what yeah. do you think? Well, I, I, I sure hope we're not still... Uh, in an economic slump, you know, three or four years from now, if 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 we are, we're <laughs> we're going to have to come back for a further conversation. But I, I think Wilkinson, Mr. Wilkinson, has said, look, we're going to cut, and I but I'm waiting to see the full platform because you know this was kind of a this is one plank obviously that uh, that they're putting forward, but we need to see how it all fits in a in a three or four year fiscal plan to be candid. Um, and there's lots of questions around that. I agree. Uh, I think what he suggested anyway is that uh, the tax is limited for one year, it's brought back at 3% for the second year, and then implicitly it returns in a, in a more fulsome way by the third year. So right. it's temporary. That out. So it's, it's a temporary measure. I mean, this isn't right. a permanent. There's no way the B.C. government can survive and pay the bills if we don't have any kind of sales tax. I mean, in fact, let's, I would let's argue... Let's talk about the timing on that, Jock, because I do think we're going to be in for a two- or three- or four-year slump if it's not an actual recession in the technical sense of continually falling GDP. We're still going to be operating well, well below our potential. Uh, we're going to try and juice consumer spending, which actually isn't the worst part of the economy right now, for a year. Then two years, three years from now, you're going to have to come back in if what you say is true. And he didn't clarify this. You're going to have to come back in and say we're going to increase the provincial sales tax by seven points compared to where it was in 2021. And there's going to be enormous resistance to that from businesses, from consumers. And at that macroeconomic point where I think we'll still be in trouble, uh, it would actually be very counterproductive. So I don't think there's been enough discussion on this issue of how does the tax come back in and when. All right, welcome back to the show. Talking about the Liberals' promise here to scrap the PST for you. I got both sides of it for you, Jock Finless and Jim Stanford, and your calls in the open line. Let's take a call right now, Ron in New West. Hi, Ron. Yeah, hello, Mike. Uh, one of the things that I, that I wonder about that hasn't been mentioned yet is the impact it has on businesses. On what kind of steps do they have to take, and how much is it going to cost them to modify all of their computerized software programs to accommodate a tax change? And it's going to be one change for one year, that's going to be a different change for another year, and then what, we're going to go back to the regular taxes a year after that, uh, perhaps. Every time, you, let's say you have a mechanic shop, they charge different tax rates for different things. You pay sale, uh, provincial tax on parts, you pay GST on labor, and you have combinations okay. of that. Okay, let's check with Jock Finlayson on that. Jock, what do you think? Programming costs for um, uh, for merchants and so on at at their you know cash registers and their payment systems. It's simplified a little bit by the fact you're 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 taking it to zero, so there's no sort of differential taxes on on different inputs and components. But definitely there would be some kind of a cost. It would be a small cost relative to seven or eight billion dollars of. Of a, of a short-term Well, they'd, prob- they'd probably happily change their computer system if they know there's going to be zero PST for a year, wouldn't they? 
Yeah, they they would do that, but again, yeah. uh, then the next year would be three percent, and you know, so okay. it's it's not ideal. But we're we're in a world here where uh, you know, <laughs> we're we're looking for ways to support an economy that really is struggling, and it's I'm it's sure. not easy. I'm sure they could figure it out. Terry and Delta, hi Terry. Oh hi. Uh, hi. Uh, I think it's a good idea to uh, uh, reduce the taxes, but I think that if either party had any jam, they'd look at bringing private insurance in here, and we would all save a lot. On uh, our I, instead of ICBC, leave ICBC there. But if they can't compete, too bad. Right now, okay. I know well, that uh, based on uh, Alberta, I would save between eight nine hundred dollars a year on my insurance for my two okay. cars. Thank you for the call. We could probably do a whole show on that, and uh, and we've talked a lot about that on the show too. But let, let's stick to the topic at hand on on PST. Jim Stanford, let me ask you this. Do you think there is a risk to the provincial government, if they actually did this, go to 0% PST, blow that huge, that huge hole in the budget, $20 billion deficit? Is there a risk the government uh, loses its AAA credit rating and it costs us more to service the debt as a result? Your thoughts? Uh, I'm not losing sleep over the AAA credit rating. That's possible. It, it will be gone. And, and this reduction would certainly make matters worse. Um, but at the same time, you've seen this dramatic downturn in interest rates across the board. So uh, I think that the cost of servicing these deficits is actually going to be uh, lower than we think because interest okay. rates have gotten so low. But, so I, that's, not, that's not the biggest problem. Here. Are you worried, though, Jock Finlayson, are you worried about defi- big deficits and more debt in the province? Uh, normally, I, I would be, but um, we're in a world right now where uh, we've been hit with the biggest shock uh, to the economy, both here and in many other countries in my lifetime, and uh, uh, the cost of money is low. So in the short run, I think it's quite appropriate to be running very substantial okay. deficits. Randy on the open line in Burnaby, hi. Yeah, I, I just cannot stand listening to people talk about how entitled they are to my hard-earned dollars. So I, I do welcome this PST cut. But more importantly, uh, the administrative costs that, 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 it, that it costs to bring in program spending that the NDP will probably do will, will create more bureaucracy and bloat government, where the PST cut is very simple and it will actually probably save us that bureaucracy. And not only that, save those businesses having to administer the PST. So this is a win-win as far as I'm concerned. Jim Stanford, your thoughts on that? There's administrative costs uh, to everything, and uh, I, I certainly appreciate the sentiment of people keeping their hard-earned dollars. On the other hand, it is our public services that are getting us through this uh, pandemic, and I think we all feel good in BC about the quality of our health advice and our health system, and that doesn't come from the sky like manna. These are things that we pay for with our tax dollars. So uh, I think in general, most uh, most British Columbians are very appreciative of public services, health care, and the other services, and in the long run, those will be jeopardized if we do away with the second most important tax that we have. Okay, do you, Jock, do you think public services would be jeopardized if the Liberals did a big cut like this? Uh, well, if we said we're, we're, we're going to get rid of the sales tax and never bring it back, absolutely, but uh, that, isn't, that isn't the game we're playing here, clearly. Uh, the sales tax, uh, the revenue from it does need to be restored at some point. I would just note, though, back to the previous caller, this, yeah. is, a, this is a recession which has hammered the private sector. I mean, the public sector has been essentially unscathed, which is fine in the short run. I don't have a problem with that. Uh, but we need measures that are going to support businesses, support households, support consumers, support private sector workers. It can't all be about growing and expanding government. The second point is, as I view this promise anyway, it's, it's a proposal for a temporary 
right. stimulus for the economy. It's not it's not about a permanent expansion of government, which is probably what Jim would like to see and a lot of his colleagues is let's let's grow government, let's grow the public sector because that's actually the key to a healthy economy. He and I would disagree on that. Jim, your thoughts? stability of the public sector has actually been a good thing. The fact that we're not laying off healthcare workers and generally teachers and so on is something that stabilized the economy. Um, and the private sector benefits from the incomes that are paid and the services that are provided. It creates spending power and actually supports uh, those businesses as well. So this idea that the private sector is hurt, therefore we better hurt the public sector as well. That's like you've shot yourself in one foot, now let's shoot ourselves in the other foot. Okay, back to the phone lines. Ross in New West. Hi, Ross. Okay, we lost Ross. How about Don in Vancouver? Hi, Don. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Go ahead. Uh, so, so you know, I, I'm mixed feelings about this because uh, at first I think, you know, the tax cut will be great for businesses to get started up again. But household debt is so high for each person. And now aren't we adding more fuel to the fire? These people who all of a sudden get the money's cheap to borrow, they borrow more money and they buy more product. What are they going to be? Where are we going to be? financially, individually, oh. after this whole pandemic. Okay, is that, a pro- is that a risk, Jim Stanford? Household debt is high, and that's an important thing to keep in mind. We often, you know, wring our hands about government debt and deficits, but household debt is much, much higher than government debt. Uh, on the other hand, I, I'm not too worried uh, about Don's concern because I don't think the sales tax is going to unleash a big flood of spending. As I mentioned, retail spending has recovered in B.C. to above the levels that it was before the pandemic. Uh, Other types of uh, consumer spending, like hospitality, we've got to wait for the pandemic to be fully under control before it's going to come back. So the sales tax will have no impact there. Okay, we just got a minute left. Jock Finlayson, what do you think about his point there that maybe stimulating consumer spending is not shouldn't be the priority right now yeah, your thoughts yeah well in the household debt is 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 a big issue in canada and it's an even bigger issue in bc so i'm concerned about that but again you know we've got to deal with that over, over over the medium term right now the thing i'm most fearful of is that the economic rebound that started uh in the summer after a very tough uh, sort of march april may is going to run out of gas and we're going to end up with you know sort of stagnating with another still 150,000 fewer jobs than we had in february okay. so this is one way I think of guarding against that risk. It's not perfect, but it's one of the tools we have available. All right, welcome back. My first guest on the show today was Terry Mooring, president of the BC Teachers Federation, and we talked about how teachers are having growing concerns about COVID-19 in their schools and how that information is being relayed to parents and students. There is now a Facebook group that is relaying all of the information parents need to know. Our own John Jang has more. Good morning, Mike. It seems with every passing day, we're hearing or reading about more COVID-19 cases that have been identified in schools across the province. According to health officials, the second wave is coming if it's not already here. And the problem for students and parents seems to come down to information, or at least a lack thereof, in terms of knowing what is happening when their students are in class every day. Knowledge is power, after all. So one parent decided to take matters into her own hands. She created the BC School COVID Tracker Facebook group, where she compiles all of the data and information regarding COVID-19 cases in BC schools and actually shares them on the page. This way, parents can easily read on all the latest updates in one convenient location. Now, for the sake of privacy and safety, she did ask to remain anonymous when speaking with me this morning. But I did ask her, how has the group been received so far, considering over 11,000 people are actively following the page for updates? 
Well, I, it's, it's gotten a pretty good reception, hence the uh, amount of people following the page. Um, and it's all been really positive uh, feedback about it. I think the reason behind it was more, uh, it, it felt like a necessity because the idea was made very clear that, like you said, not all schools uh, were going to be reporting the cases, not because they were choosing not to, because they were being directed by public health authorities um, that they were only allowed to notify schools if they were given that directive by the health authority. So as a, as a family member, you know, family and, and a child going to school, that was concerning for me because I want to be able to make informed choices and I realized that I might be in the dark. And I thought having a, a platform like this where parents can share information, uh, you know, that they would receive letters or some kind of correspondence from the school acknowledging that there's a case and then that can be shared and, and people could know and they could have some peace and calm in knowing that, okay, I know what's going on. I can make an informed decision and go accordingly. And in regards to that information, how do you determine what is valid and accurate and something you want to share as opposed to receiving a message from somebody following the group with a tip that can't actually be verified and therefore is at risk of being closer to rumor or hearsay? That is the struggle, and that's where I'm, you know, I'm having a lot of heartbreak, actually, because uh, it has to be valid information. I know as a, as a mother, I wouldn't want to know things that weren't valid or true, because it's hard enough to navigate in this, what, what they call the new normal. I think we need to know that these these facts are truthful, um, and so I'm really relying on uh, documentation from either um, the public health authority or uh, the school themselves sends out letters. Uh, the only issue we have now is a lot of um, what we're hearing is that some health authorities are not sending letters. They'll just phone uh, contacts. They'll contact Trace and just phone those that may have been exposed. And the only time they're sending out a letter is if they can't contact Trace effectively. So, which means we're we're just not going to know all of them. Even myself and our page, we we're gonna there's going to be some cracks, and we're not going to be able to fill them. So, I you know I do get messages about uh, cases in schools where um, a letter was not received, and and that means I can't really say anything because I do not want to be a rumor mill starter, um, and uh, that that becomes the challenge. And have you heard from anyone on behalf of a school district, perhaps, or somebody from the health authority, either in terms of supporting what it is you're doing or maybe going the other way and asking the group to be shut down because they may not agree with this method of sharing information? Um, I've heard from no one on, on that front, uh, which, you know, I was wondering if that would come up, but no, it hasn't. Um, all the information I'm sharing, I am curating is uh, either from the BCCDC website, so it's already out there, um, and I'm sharing information that uh, schools are sharing with families. So this is public information. I'm not, uh, or on Twitter, I'm finding different reporters are hearing about cases and the reporting on schools. So I'm only, I'm a curator. I'm just curating information in a place where parents can go easily and find it instead of scouring the internet themselves. So I figured if I'm doing it, might as well just share it uh, with other people and everyone instead of everyone struggling to, to look and find the info. So no, I haven't had any, uh, any backlash or negative feedback from any uh, public health officials, thankfully. 
Now, I have friends who are teachers at various school districts around BC. In conversations with me, they have said privately that they don't agree with how, at times, information that is crucial can be withheld from the public. So I'm wondering if you've heard from teachers and seen what their response has been to your group in terms of making life easier for parents, for students, and for themselves. Every day, every day I'm hearing from teachers um, some very sweet, sweet messages. And um, in fact, it really, I get emotional sometimes reading them because uh, I thought doing this wasn't going to be really that big of a deal. I thought, okay, I'm just going to throw up some info that's out there and put it in a spot. And the the fact that parents are interested is one thing. The the, the teachers, that's a whole other layer of, um, it, it's been emotional. Like they really want this information too. And you realize that they're in the dark. That's That's what this uncovers is that, these teachers don't know and they're relying on on our page um, to get that information and it's a lot of gratitude there you know one teacher wrote me last night saying thank you I just found your page I I I feel like I'm in the dark this is this is a sort of a lifeline for me and uh, yeah there's obviously an issue and and information needs to be shared more readily and it shouldn't be this page (laughs) it should be it should be out there uh, publicly uh, by health authorities and and uh, they're relying on me and that that's kind of speaks volumes of, of how things need to change all right really interesting segment there i'm joined by john jang now there he did the interview with the administrator of that facebook page bc school covid tracker john really interesting stuff and i'm just checking out the facebook page right now and I think this is a good page. This is good, solid information from what I can see here because like she told you in that interview, it's not like she's published, she's uh, publishing rumors and stuff. She's going to the source, source material, BC Center for Disease Control. She's actually posting letters that parents have received from school districts. So to me, it looks like pretty solid information here on this page. Yeah, I agree completely. I'm glad yeah. that someone is uh, being responsible in terms of relaying that proper information because uh, it does... Uh, have the potential to turn into a very problematic thing where you're spreading wrong information, misinformation, and uh, sometimes putting people at risk that doesn't need to be. So it's it's really good that she's going through the process and understanding that you need to vet and we need to have at least some letters, some forms, so that we can verify these particular right. claims. But right. uh, it, it seems like it's been very well received by people. It has a 4.9 star review rating from people that have uh, left little written reviews about how uh, you know beneficial this is for them. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I'm going to follow this myself, this page. And you know, it's got updated information almost on a daily basis. And just, just looking at the last update, for example, it says number of school exposure events reported to date 72 number of schools affected 62 and then it has a very detailed list of individual schools and its sources where the information has come from so it looks like a pretty solid effort here uh, to get this information online for people and it, it, I don't know it's kind of interesting it takes a citizen initiative to put something like this together I think the government could be doing a better job but let's have a listen to this John this is um, we got a lot of buzz line on this because a lot of people wanted to have their say after I talked to the president of the teachers union this morning so a lot of people called the buzz line let's have a listen to that from what I see, when we pick up our granddaughter after school, it's completely a mess and thrown out the door. Just watching the kids 
coming out and leaving the classrooms, out in the playgrounds, 90% of people without masks. Kids not even wear masks, Jim, shoulder to shoulder at the door in a lineup to go out. Dr. Bonnie Henry has done an incredible job with schools. My, my kids are grateful to be back in school and have a normal feeling school atmosphere again. Children are usually asymptomatic and they have, are the lowest, low of the low risk group. If you reported every single time somebody sneezed, you know what's going to happen? You're going to have absolute bedlam out there. To not give out the information about a case in the school or cases or in a classroom is uh, absolutely uh, negligent. I think we can be really proud that in our province so far that there's been no transmissions in schools. There's only been exposures. So people going to school, but there's been no transmissions yet within those exposures. Okay, lots of really good calls there. I'm very grateful for everyone who called the buzz line on this today. And, you know, you heard some praise there for Dr. Bonnie Henry, and I think she's done a great job too. But Mm -hmm. I also think that there could be a better job done on just disclosing this information to the public. Because personally, I think, like, if you've got a a positive case of COVID-19 in a school, as a parent, I... I would like to know if uh, if right. there was a positive case in my kid's classroom, okay? That's what I would like to know, and I think teachers deserve to know that too. Absolutely, and thing. the problem, I think, is that each school district has its own website, so then all of a sudden information is being shared at multiple different uh, websites instead of having just one easy-to-access page. Now that it's available on this Facebook group, I can see why so many people are turning to yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, people are looking for the information. And, you know, the one guy who called there on the buzz line and said, if you reported every single kid with the sniffles, it would be bedlam. That's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking mm-hmm. about reporting kids who got a runny nose. We're talking about confirmed positive tests for COVID-19, right? Absolutely. Right. And, and yeah. you know, when it comes to uh, praising Dr. Bonnie Henry, she, of course, deserves a lot of that. But I also praise the teachers on an individual basis because I know, again, one of my friends who's a teacher had to pay out of his own pocket to put a plexiglass around his desk, not to just make sure he's safe, but to make sure that in case he's somehow carrying symptoms and he doesn't realize it, well, then there's that extra level of protection for his students as well. This is, of course, set out the rules and policies set out by those at the top, like Dr. Bonnie Henry, but it's being followed and carried by those teachers every single day. So they deserve a lot of praise. Okay, let's have a little listen to this, John. This is from Terry Mooring, president of the Teachers Union this morning, talking a little bit about this issue. We're seeing a lot still online and a lot of situations where families are disclosing positive diagnoses that aren't being disclosed by, you know, the health authority. And so that is going to continue. Um, that information sharing informally on the Internet is going to continue if the health authority doesn't step up and do a better job of, uh, of quickly getting information out. And, of course, the problem with uh, the informal sharing of the information is it might not be accurate. Okay, yeah, no, she raises a good point there. You don't want to sort of fear monger or spread, spread rumors that are not mm-hmm. true, but like the, the administrator of that Facebook page told you, she, that's very high in her priorities as well. She doesn't want to put out bad information.